We commence today's show with this. Now our nation has decided to honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. by setting aside a day each year to remember him and the just cause he stood for. We've made historic strides since Rosa Parks refused to go to the back of the bus. As a democratic people, we can take pride in the knowledge that we Americans recognized a grave injustice and took action to correct it. And we should remember that in far too many countries, people like Dr. King never have the opportunity to speak out at all. But traces of bigotry still mar America. So each year on Martin Luther King Day, let us not only recall Dr. King, but rededicate ourselves to the commandments he believed in and sought to live every day. Thou shalt love thy God with all thy heart, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I just have to believe that all of us, if all of us, young and old, Republicans and Democrats, do all we can to live up to those commandments, then we will see the day when Dr. King's dream comes true. And in his words, all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. Thank you. God bless you, and I will sign it. Forty years ago today, President Ronald Reagan signed a bill into law recognizing Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday as a federal holiday, making King the first and only African-American to be so honored in this nation. I am pleased to welcome back to this program New York Times perennial best-selling author. Uh, any number of texts on that list, including one, in fact, about Dr. King, ordained Baptist minister, Vanderbilt professor, noted public intellectual, and sometime comedian, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson. The M to the E to the D. How are you today, sir? <laughs> you cracking me up already. Uh, the, the Reverend Dr. Professor T. Smizzle. <laughs> Tabitha Smiley. Man, your show is hype, Doc. I, I'm, uh, I mean, the great Nikki Giovanni. Yes. My God. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Brianna Gray, I mean, uh, I don't always agree with her, but always learn from her. I mean, I'm just, I'm excited by your show, brother. Well, brother, we couldn't have a better start uh, coming out the blocks. Uh, you got the baton first. Uh, Michael Eric Dyson, I'm honored, of course, always to be in dialogue with you. Let me make the most of the hour we have, and I thank you for it. I know how full your schedule is, and I just thank you for this hour. Uh, particularly, particularly, I should say, on this day, uh, I wanted to talk to you because of your book about King, because of both of our love for King, because of our reverence for his work and his witness. But let me just start with what we heard a moment ago. Um, the fascinating part about this, for the well, man, let me do this. I, I'm looking at the clock already. If I ask you this first question, it's going to be unfair. You'd have 10 seconds to respond to it. When we come forward and commence this dialogue for real, for real, uh, when I hear Ronald Reagan's voice, my, 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 I cringe to begin with, and Dyson knows why I'm saying that. For those who recall the history of this, Ronald Reagan fought mightily. He did not want to sign this King Holiday Bill. He did not support it. He didn't want to sign it. And so to hear his words, he was an actor, at one point president of the Screen Actors Guild, before, before being governor of this state and before being president. But you hear Ronald Reagan talking so lovingly about Dr. King, and you get reminded that he did not want that bill to come across his desk in the first place. And then you get reminded that he went to Philadelphia, Mississippi, when he announced his candidacy. I'm going to hold for a second and see if you can figure out the uh, significance of why he was there in Philadelphia. Uh, just getting started with Michael Eric Dyson on Tavis Smiley. 
Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically blind. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. There are a number of issues that Dr. King were he here today. Um, a number of issues he'd be opining on. Make no mistake about it. And so as we move through this hour, uh, we'll get uh, Dr. Dyson's take uh, on uh, what King might be saying to us in this moment about so many issues facing us domestically and, of course, internationally. So you know I'm going there. Our guest is uh, Michael Eric Dyson, a professor at, uh, at Vanderbilt, an author and ordained Baptist minister and anything else he pretty much wants to do. Uh, and I'm always delighted to be in dialogue with him. We just played a clip from Ronald Reagan 40 years ago today signing into law. Uh, the King Holiday Bill, making Dr. King the first and only African-American to be so honored in this nation. As I said moments ago, Michael, uh, when you hear the voice of Ronald Reagan, again, I just get I get I get all uh, I break out in hives just hearing his voice sometimes, given how horrible his policies were for our people. But I got reminded uh, you get reminded of two things when you hear him, at least I do. One, that he didn't want to sign that holiday bill. And this is the same Ronald Reagan who had been twice governor of California, who felt the need to go all the way from California to Philadelphia, Mississippi, site of the murders of Goodman, Schroener, and Cheney, to announce his presidency for these United States. That's all I got to say. Watch how this works. Take it, Michael. <laughs> now, there you go again, Travis. <laughs> Travis Smiley. <laughs> well, well, well. well. <laughs> Look, the man, the man could talk, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, he did travel to Neshoba County Fair, uh, I think it was on August 3rd, 1980. Um, a prominent state Republican, you know, had recommended as the place to find George Wallace inclined voters. So he was looking for voters. He's trying to launch his campaign. He had failed to um, be successful in the previous run for presidency. And so he's looking for some kind of symbolic territory on which to land, and as you've indicated brilliantly and precisely as always, Tavis, he um, ended up uh, speaking not too far where the bodies of Cheney, Schwerner, and Goodman were abducted and killed in Mississippi by the local Ku Klux Klan uh, in June of 1964. And the trauma and tragedy delivered to black America, to all Americans of good conscience, could not be uh, overstated, and yet at the same time, as you've already indicated, Ronald Reagan uh, said, I'd rather have honored him in a different way, though he didn't really want to honor him. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give him a national holiday, because as you know, Tavis, the argument was that this was a costly holiday. It would cost Americans too much money. And then you know, um, Jesse Helms later on indicated that, well, he was not really a true American. He was indeed a communist, and that old canard got pulled out, mm -hmm. to which uh, Daniel Pat Patrick Moynihan responded, then a senator from New York. He took the 300-page binder of infamous uh, lies and mendacity that were generated by uh, the senator from North Carolina, threw it on the ground, stomped on it, and called it a pack of lies. Mm -hmm. So a packet of lies. So yeah, there was a big fight going on, Tavis, as you know. You know that our late, beloved, late, great Congressman John Conyers, April 4th, 19th, April 8th, 1968, introduced into Congress um, a proposal and wanted to pr produce a bill to make Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, birthday a holiday. It took 15 years. 
It took labor unions. It took Stevie Wonder making a song along with the great Coretta Scott King to remind them of what was going on. It finally made it uh, to Congress in 1979, but it was turned down. Ironically enough, Tavis, when the president and both houses of Congress were, were dominated by Democrats, uh, they couldn't get it passed. But in 1983, with a Republican governor, I mean, with a Republican um, president and a Republican Senate, they got this bill through. But Ronald Reagan wasn't uh, a fan of it. Uh, there were all kinds of accusations of Dr. King, the personal attacks on him, the assaults on him, and then, as I've indicated, what Jesse Helms did. But despite all that, or as the black people in the street say, irregardless <laughs> of all of that, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the bill finally passed 15 years later. But as you know, it took another 17 years for every state in the union to have a Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, uh, birthday uh, mm-hmm. holiday celebration because some of them joined it up with Robert E. Lee. Some of them made it, you know, watered it down with Civil Rights Day and happened to put King's name in there, uh, incidentally. But uh, by 2000, every state in the Union, every state in America, celebrated Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday as a national holiday. No thanks to uh, Ronald Reagan. But I will say this, in the same way that Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, though he vacillated, as uh, Martin Luther King Jr. indicated the day before he died, he still signed it, and no matter what rerun, as some have called him, Ronald Reagan did, mm-hmm. the fact is he signed that legislation, and we have the King holiday uh, at this time. There's a lot to interrogate there, and first of all, that's why he's a professor, university professor, teaching whatever he wants to teach at Vanderbilt, because he can break it down like nobody else can. Um, I'm glad you went there. Now I can, again, just sort of uh, uh, pull apart some of the things that you said uh, moments ago. Let me start with this. Um, I've had the great honor in my career, as you know, of interviewing Jimmy Carter many, many times. I consider him a personal friend, and uh, we pray for him. Uh, now, what, 99, in hospice at home, right. and they thought he was going to die months yeah. ago. Jimmy Carter's still holding on. He's, he's, he's a fighter, man. He's a fighter. Uh, and, and I'm I, from the peanut. I'm from the peanut. I'm going to survive. That, that's it. That's about. it. Um, I, think many, I think many regard, and I asked Jimmy Carter this one time, and he was none too happy with the question, but he was my friend, so he answered it. <laughs> I asked him, Mr. President, how do you respond to people who, who say that you are the greatest ex-president we've ever had? Because his, 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 his tenure, that one term he had um, was not regarded as one of the great presidencies. In 1980, he takes a shellacking from Ronald Reagan. Reagan beats Jimmy Carter to become president in 80. Um, Of course, uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, just some history here, had to survive that that insurgent campaign from Ted Kennedy, as you'll recall. So a sitting president was challenged by a member of his own party, not unlike Joe Biden these days. Uh, But Ted Kennedy is a little bit different than this congressman running against Joe Biden. Ted Kennedy was was Ted Kennedy. Uh, And Jimmy Carter first had it was a it was a bloodbath. But he had to beat back Ted Kennedy to win the nomination again of his party. And that fight just took it all out of him. And Ronald Reagan came through and just gave him a shellacking in 1980. I raised that because you raised it when you said in 1979, Democrats couldn't get this bill through. I've often thought about how. Uh, this would have been a part of Jimmy Carter's legacy had it happened in 1979 and not Ronald Reagan's legacy a few years later, uh, Mike Dyson. That, that's a great point, brilliantly articulated as always. That's part of the paradox of politics in America. It makes for strange bedfellows. Mm-hmm. And it is true that, um, you know, Jimmy Carter from the very state exactly. King Jr. hailed from, exactly. um, that you've implied and we say now explicitly, from the great state of uh, Georgia, 
from Atlanta even more specifically, it would have been a great um, celebration of two Georgia boys uh, recognizing each other's greatness, one posthumously and one as president. Uh, but you're right. It was a tough go of it with President Carter, as you said. I mean, think about it. 1979, the Iran hostage yeah, exactly. crisis, which led to his demise as well, uh, a crisis of energy in the country uh, that Ronald Reagan then came, you know, was ushered into office on with this kind of, um, you know, uh, Wilder-like uh, trickle-down economic theories. He even said to poor people, that is Ronald Reagan, that ketchup is a vegetable too, so stop complaining about mm -hmm. not getting your daily nutritional value. Mm -hmm. So we know that Jimmy Carter was a great, great uh, figure, but as you said well and brilliantly, a post, his post-presidency uh, was awesome. He's like uh, Junior Bridgman. Junior Bridgman did play basketball, but you ain't know his name, but now he's worth, what, $600 million? <laughs> His post-basketball career yeah. is the bomb, yeah. and that's what we know him for. Um, and Jimmy Carter, though president, you're right. I mean, what he's done since his uh, presidential run has been uh, amazing, nothing short of astonishing. And it is a tribute to his conscience and his public statesmanship that he has continued until quite recently to appear in public and to represent the interests of those whose backs are against the wall. And it would have been a delight to have his birthday celebrated uh, in his presidency, but it's even a, a more delicious treat that Ronald Reagan was forced mm -hmm. to acknowledge the legitimacy and validity of Martin Luther King Jr. Though he made a dismissive aside when he was asked, was Martin Luther King Jr. a communist? He said, well, we'll know in 35 years, won't we? Because as you know, Tavis, in 20, what, 27, uh, those FBI tapes and other mm -hmm. uh, pieces of information will be released uh, on Dr. King. But he was still forced to sign that legislation. That was even more delicious in many ways. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's, let's do some more history here. Um, so I am curious. I've been anxious to ask you this question perhaps more than, more than most. Um, how do you juxtapose, how do you square the way King died um, with the fact that he ever got a holiday in the first place. Uh, never mind, it took 17 years for all states to get in line. We'll get to that later in this conversation. But as you know, you've written about it brilliantly. Uh, I've written about it, but your text is just an amazing piece of work. Um, uh, King dies persona non grata. He dies uh, toxic. People have turned their back against him. Um, he's disinvited to speak in black churches. He's disinvited to speak in black colleges, black folk like Carl Stokes don't even be seen in photos with him. The mayor of Cleveland. I mean, the, the, the cosmos essentially shifts against King, certainly in the last year or so of his life. And so when King dies, many black folk are, are even asking, you know, where has he been? What's, what's he been up to? Of course, he's organizing the poor people's campaign, but he was not on the list of the most admired Americans at the end the way he had been. And so it's not until years later, to your point, that Stevie and Coretta, Scott King and others start, start reminding us of who he really was, start resurrecting uh, his work and his witness. It took a while to get there. And so in some ways, to me at least, it's, it's pretty amazing that King is the first Negro to have a holiday, given how he was maltreated uh, when he died. But that's my read. You wrote the book. What's your read? Well, you, you wrote a book that's so brilliant, too. I can hear Dr. King now. Uh, I want to quote uh, the great Sean Diddy Combs, and <laughs> I want to tell you, I, I thought I told you we weren't going to stop. We're, we're not going to stop. Where's Mace when I need him? But look, Dr. <laughs> the point is... 
I told you. I told you. Sometime comedian. I told you. Sometime comedian. I warned you. I warned you. <laughs> Doctor King had a great sense of humor. I'm yes, sure he, he did. Yes, up at that yes right he now. did. Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, although his jokes were far more raucous than mine. Yes. So the, the reality is this: that that you're absolutely right. Um, it is indeed an irony, greater even a paradox, that Martin Luther King Jr. celebrated it all. If we look at the last year of his life, the last three years when he was pushing for economic uh, equality in America, he said, look, when the nation passed the Civil Rights Bill in 64, it didn't cost the nation anything. When the, the nation passed the 65 uh, Voting Rights Act, didn't cost the nation anything. He said, but what we're pushing for now is economic equality, and that will cost the nation something because we're trying to get rid of poverty and structural inequality. And, as you know, Tavis, he began to speak out bravely and courageously against the war in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So when you put all that together, as you said, he wasn't on the 10 most admired Americans list. Heck, his own college wouldn't even put him on the board of trustees until two and a half years before he died. Why? Because the white head of the... Um, you know, the board of trustees, a white man, a, a Merrill Lynch, you know, of, of Merrill Lynch fame, uh, said that Martin Luther King Jr. was a poor role model. Why? Because he went to jail too often. Mm. Well, my gosh, he wasn't selling crack. Mm -hmm. He was trying to crack the edifice of white supremacy in America. And as you said, a lot of people turned their backs on him. He almost got into a fist fight with Whitney Young at the uh, National Urban League. Uh, because King said to him, well, what you're doing may get you a foundation grant, but it won't get you into the kingdom of truth. Mm. And so they were going back and forth, and Martin, you know, uh, Roy Wilkins already didn't dig him a whole bunch. Thurgood Marshall had tension with him as well. So this was a man who paid the ultimate price, not only in terms of sacrificing his life, but even before that, his reputation in defense of truth, justice, and democracy, and the benefit of the disadvantaged in this country. So he was not popular. And at the time of his death, he was at the Nader, the low point of his popularity in America. Very few people would come out to hear him. That's why he didn't want to give that last speech that he ended up giving, because it was raining. He didn't think many people would show up. Mm -hmm. And he knew the news media would cast it as, see, we told you King is no longer popular. But when Ralph Abernathy got to the auditorium that night and said, Doc, this is your audience. There are a couple thousand people here. He got up out of his bed. He was sick. He was not feeling well, shaved, and then went down uh, to Mason Temple and gave arguably the greatest speech of his career. All I ask, America, be true to what you said on paper. And so he was saying, close the gulf and the distance between the ideals you articulate uh, in the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and how you march them from parchment to pavement. And so he would have been surprised that his birthday was being celebrated. His last birthday, um, was he was jokingly given uh, a tin cup of uh, contributions from the great Zernona Clayton, mm -hmm. and he spent his 39th birthday, as he always did, working for the people. So Martin Luther King Jr. would have been surprised. Yep. We would have been surprised if we saw him in that day, and so now it's a great celebration, but it is ironic and paradoxical. And nobody like Michael Eric Dyson. More with him when we come forward. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley, Smiley. continues when we come forward. 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 
Tammy's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tammy Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. More of Tammy Smiley and Michael Eric Dyson as we celebrate, commemorate uh, today. Uh, the 40th anniversary of the day that Ronald Reagan, as president, signed uh, the bill into law, uh, recognizing Dr. King's birthday as a federal holiday. Uh, it took 17 years for everybody, every state, that is, to get in line. We'll discuss that in a moment. Uh, and a few other issues that Dr. King might be opining on were he here today. Um, so you know we'll go there. Israel, Hamas, I'm going there. Um, but uh, I'm always delighted to be in dialogue with our friend and brother Michael Eric Dyson, Professor Vanderbilt, a New York Times perennial best-selling author, uh, ordained Baptist minister, etc., etc., etc. Dyson, I was laughing. <laughs> Miles, Miles, my board op, said uh, Dyson is always is on fire today, Tabis. He said, uh, he said Dyson, uh, Dr. Dyson is like LeBron in that game last night, if you saw the game last night. Uh, one of the greatest, I mean, this guy is basically 40 years old. Austin Reeves uh, threw an alley-oop last night, and LeBron went up into the heavens to get it. And it was a thunderous, thunderous dunk last night that everybody's talking about today. And uh, Miles, my board up, says, uh, Dr. Dyson is like LeBron. If you alley-oop it, he'll go get it <laughs> and, and, and put it through. So let me. I'm trying to put in 42 minutes. There 42 you... <laughs> minutes, brother. I'm trying to put in 42 minutes as an old man. Yeah, yes, sir. yeah. Well, let, yes, me, sir. let me throw some more alley-oops to you and see what you can do with them. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 I want to come quickly to the point you made uh, moments ago, which is which is – powerful and worth, I think, uh, unpacking for a moment, certainly interrogating. And that is the notion that after Reagan signs this bill, it literally takes 17 years for every state in this country to get in line. As you recall, Arizona was bringing up the rear. Um, How do you read the 17-year journey for everybody to get in line with the way today we treat King, in, in some respects, as sort of a messianic figure? The King that we see today and all the schools and all the bridges and, and highways and libraries and all the stuff and the, the, the monument now on the National Mall juxtapose that 17-year period when people wouldn't respect him with the way we sort of see him today. Yes, sir. No, it's a great point, uh, Tavis. I mean, this is part of the bitter irony of American political life that, you know, it go, we, we go through several stages. First, you have to be rejected in order to be respected. Mm. You've got to be ostracized in order to be uh, included. And you've got to be, you know, the, the, the stone that the builders rejected mm. became the, the cornerstone, the oh, foundation yeah. of the entire project. So Martin Luther King Jr. traveled a, well, uh, a well-worn path that he knew about. He knew that he would have to pay a price. He knew that he would have to be seen as the enemy of America. How else could white supremacist um, senators and Congress people and even presidents oppose Martin Luther King Jr., knowing that they were the real enemies of American democracy? They were the lauders of the Confederacy while this man preached peace and justice uh, in the land. And yet he was portrayed as the enemy of America, and he understood that that would be the price that he would have to pay, and he understood ultimately that he might and probably in, indeed would have to pay the ultimate sacrifice of losing his life. So when we look at the trajectory of his acceptance, um, it is predictable that a figure who was so reviled and seen as antithetical to the very heart of the American Democratic Project, Small D, is now seen as the cornerstone for so much, and he's got his enemies 
you know, bowing down. This mm-hmm. is what Psalm 23 meant. He will make your enemies kiss your behind. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't quite read it that way. But it <laughs> I'm sorry, Jesus. Yeah. I, I got off on that Dyson uh, isogesis. Yeah. So the thing is, is that he will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Preach. And this is indeed what happened. Martin Luther King Jr. must now be consulted, must now be name-checked, must now be seen as the arbiter of ultimate American political life, even by those who formerly reviled him. Even right-wing conservatives used him to justify their belief in attacks on affirmative action. But the point is, they've got to go through King. So they tried to dog King to begin with and have to go through with him Mm. at the end. That sounds to me like the grace of God and the mercy of truth uh, the mercy of uh, and, and mercy, justice, and truth of God coming down to reign yeah. in our own day. The flip side of all of that is, I get concerned at times, and I want to get your temperature on this about his iconography. Uh, and he reminds me oh, yeah. of Mandela in the sense that the iconography is so uh, so significant that we lose sight of the radical Dr. King. Same thing with Mandela. We want to see Mandela with a smile on his face, wearing his beautiful Versace shirt, <laughs> and we don't want to focus on right. uh, on the on the ANC years. Uh, I, I get concerned again yeah. that King's iconography uh, 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 blurs the radical King. Your take on that? You're absolutely right. That's why your brilliant book is so helpful to us. And I tried to excavate that radical tradition of King as well early on when people were thinking, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, this is who he is. I'll tell you, Tavis, one of the greatest compliments I've ever received in regard to uh, my work Mm -hmm. was from Miss Dorothy Cotton. Oh, yeah. As I sat across from her at, as you know, the only woman who who penetrated that inner circle of Martin Luther King Jr. And she, uh, in, in terms of a staff member... And she sat there with me in Ithaca, New York, and she said, Baby, it's like you were a fly on that wall. Mm. How did you get all this information, and how did you portray it? So I took great pride in that because I dug for years, Tavis, in the archives. I read every, you know, errant piece of information that might be corralled uh, about the life of Dr. King because they were trying to whitewash him, trying to make him a toothless tiger, trying to make him a saccharine saint, And he was a provocative prophet, and he was a man who understood that in order for America to be truly great, America had to dig deep into its own conscience and tell the truth about the horrible lies and the horrible misdeeds it had committed. So when I look at Dr. King's trajectory, we have to excavate that radical king. And yes, we have to argue against even some of his friends. We've got to argue against those who love Dr. King, but who want to keep him safe, who are Mm -hmm. afraid to go where he went, who don't want to go where he led us. And like you said, same with Nelson Mandela, same with Dr. King. We have to excavate and constantly remind America of that radical Martin Luther King Jr. And the only way to do it is use his birthday as an occasion to remind us that what the great late Vincent Harding said, now that he is safely dead, we can try to make use of him, but we've got to remember the ideals and aspirations mm. that motivated him when he was alive. And those of us who remember that and those of us who know that must keep that memory alive. It is why I agree with Michael Eric Dyson that Dr. King is the greatest American this country has ever produced. I say it all the time, uh, and uh, we do not disagree in that regard. When we come forward, um, uh, we're King here today. 
Uh, let me just put it this way. He doesn't have to be here. He, he's been dead for years now. Uh, and yet he, his name keeps coming up in spaces and in places uh, where perhaps it ought to come up uh, so long as they speak truth <laughs> uh, to what King uh, said and what he would be doing were he here. And I'm tired of seeing his name bandied about uh, by all kinds of people. Amy Schumer got chin checked, I guess, a day or so ago. Uh, the comedian and actress, uh, uh, Dr. King's baby, Bernice, uh, had to chin check Amy Schumer uh, using Dr. King's words in this Israel-Hamas fight. And then there's the whole question of nonviolence and whether nonviolence uh, has a place as, as, as conflict resolution uh, in, a, in a space like the Middle East. So we're going to get into some public policy issues uh, right about now as we celebrate the 40th anniversary of the day that Ronald Reagan signed a bill into law recognizing Dr. King's birthday as a federal holiday. You are listening to the one and only Michael Eric Dyson right now on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. My time is getting tight, Dr. Dyson. Let me move swiftly to raise a couple of issues I want to uh, get your take on. First of all, some breaking news as we sit here. Uh, the U.S. Uh, is going to press Israel now. Now we're told the U.S. is going to press Israel for pauses in the war against Hamas. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken uh, will urge Israel to periodically pause its attacks on Gaza to allow hostages to be released and humanitarian, humanitarian aid to be distributed. That uh, breaking news right now from the White House that our Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is going to urge them to just pause every now and again. Just pause every now and again uh, to allow hostages to be released and humanitarian aid, that is, to be distributed. That would be laughable um, if it weren't so. Anyway, I, I, I digress on that point. Uh, what I'm trying to press toward uh, beyond my own politics uh, is the invocation of King. Every time I look up, somebody's using Dr. King's words to make their own point. I ain't got to call it much more than that, Mike Dyson. But uh, on the Israel-Hamas situation and King, you'd say what? Look, Dr. King certainly stood in defense of Israel's right to exist, as Amy Schumer uh, did quote him, or at least put a video up of Dr. King saying it, talking about the injustice, the injustice of anti-Semitism. So he was clear on that. In fact, he was introduced 10 days before he died to the Rabbinical Assembly of America by Abraham Yahshua Heschel as the moral leader of America. So we know King was deeply involved with progressive understandings of Judaism, but he would have stood tooth and nail against this war, as his uh, daughter, Reverend uh, Bernice King, reminded Ms. Schumer, that he would have asked the, for us to withdraw, that Israel should stop, cease the bombing. Because now what, Tavis, nearly 9,000, um, you know, Palestinians have been killed, 3,000, more than 3,000 of whom are children, um, what Hamas did to Israel was evil and wrong and an act of terror, but what is going on against innocent Palestinians is the same, and this cannot be justified by just war theory. Um, this is not an attack on Hamas. This is an attack on innocent people in, uh, in, in Palestine, and it must be ceased, Martin Luther King Jr. would say, and he would say that we must cease the activities now, not just pause, mm. because when you go to a stoplight and you pause and you keep rolling on through, you still are in danger. you got to stop mm. and fully and make sure that the war is being prosecuted against the right uh, forces 
that have uh, hurt Israel and not these innocent people who are caught in a war. And then it will encourage us, and Dr. King would say, let's get to either a one-state or a two-state solution where Palestinians can be protected and defended and Israelis can be protected and defended. And then thirdly, he would say, we cannot reduce Jewish brothers and sisters to the state of Israel. No more than we can reduce black people to the continent of Africa. Mm. Idi Amin did some evil, fascist, authoritarian things. Black people led the protest against what he did. You cannot equate Jewish and Israeli any more than you can equate, Dr. King would say, black and African. Mm. In our remaining moments with Michael Eric Dyson, we'll, 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 we'll test King's theory. Um, uh, that's what King uh, is most known for. Uh, his 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 notions of nonviolence and whether or not nonviolence is even an option uh, as conflict resolution in the Middle East. We'll do that when we come forward. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Rank number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. The pop- helping, to, helping make to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Got about three and a half minutes left here with Michael Eric Dyson. Uh, Dr. Dyson, I once uh, interviewed B.B. Netanyahu some years ago, uh, and I asked him uh, whether he'd ever considered um, King's uh, notion uh, of nonviolence as an option, uh, as a conflict resolution option in the Middle East. Uh, To no surprise, uh, he scoffed at me, sort of laughed at me, and then went in on me and told me, Tavis, Dr. King did not know Hamas. Tavis, Dr. King did not know Hezbollah. If you'd been in my seat that night, what would you have said to Bibi Netanyahu? Well, first of all, we couldn't have predicted, maybe we could have, that he would become the Israeli version of Donald Trump, a far right-wing menace to his own country. His attempt to circumvent the Supreme Court, undercut the justice of uh, Israeli society with its noble ethics, uh, committed to a vision of God that prevails over the people, uh, Netanyahu, you the one who tripping. Uh, you know, Ku Klux Klan, we're riding roughshod over our lives here, burning our buildings, uh, castrating our men, raping our women, terrorizing us, taking our property and our bodies. We don't have to do a comparative genealogy of the Holocaust versus enslavement or white supremacy, but the point is that Netanyahu, I think, uh, was dead wrong on that, as he has been on so much other stuff. And, Tavis, I'm sure you handle it. With pride, I'm sure Dr. King, were he alive, would have said, uh, you need to listen to Jay-Z. Uh, when the Remy's in the system, uh, ain't no telling will I love him or I bomb them. So the point is that he would have laid it on him and said, what you're doing is wrong, and you've got to have a conscience when it comes to representing uh, the state of Israel. Let me close with this in the nine seconds I have left. Uh, We started talking about today being, of course, the 40th anniversary of the day President Ronald Reagan signed a bill into law recognizing Dr. King's birthday as a federal holiday. What is, to your mind, the enduring legacy of this annual holiday, Dr. Dyson? That we have to wrestle every year with the ideals, the ideals, the notions, the aspirations, the life, and the commitments of Martin Luther King Jr. No matter how much we attempt to water it down, the resilient character of his radical commitment to faith, truth, democracy, but especially love, will prevail. And his legatees, like Tavis Smiley 
in the journalistic arena will continue to amplify the broadening range of idealism that motivated King into a realistic assessment of the evil of the culture and the necessity of resistance through love in order to achieve the kingdom of truth on this earth. Got a few seconds here. Um, you referenced earlier Ronald Reagan's comment that we'll know in 35 years whether King was a communist. Uh, to your point, uh, as years go by, more and more of these FBI files come out. Are you ever concerned quickly that those FBI files will tarnish the King that we know and love? Of course, like Michael Jordan was concerned about uh, his 10-part documentary tarnishing his image, but people understood you're a genius and you were a great man. Martin Luther King Jr. often recognized he was not perfect. He was a flawed man. But despite those flaws, he rose to the occasion and transformed the ability of America to become what it is. The very criticism that those, even in our own community, could leverage uh, to level against Dr. King is made possible by the freedom that he fought for them to enjoy. Our dear friend, Reverend Jesse L. Jackson Sr. puts it this way. Dr. King was a public servant, not a perfect servant. And we'll leave it there. Dr. Dyson, as always, man, an amazing conversation. You set this thing off. Uh, and now I get to talk to Nikki Giovanni. What a great day in my life. Thank you. I love you. And there ain't nothing you can do about it, man. Love you right back. Tell Nikki Giovanni I said hello. I want her to come to my class next Wednesday at uh, 1110 her time. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I want you to do that for me. I will All do right? that. I will do that for you. More time and smiling when we come forward. <laughs>